It is an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the estate planning and government assistance laws are quite complex and ever-changing, how do you keep track of them all? Through elder law attorney Michael Cohen. He's there for you to answer any of your planning questions in a way that you and your loved ones will easily understand. Mike has devoted his entire career to dutifully informing and protecting our parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, anyone in need. Join us now to learn more about estate planning essentials with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here now are Michael and Don. Welcome once again to another Estate Planning Essentials program. My name is Don Crawford, Jr., the general manager and co-host of this program right here on KWIM, indefatigably devoted to protecting your family, your assets, and you. And my co-host, who should be your attorney, is our estate planning attorney, Michael F. Cohen. Hello, Michael. Well, my middle nation, middle initial, excuse me, is B, so I'm kind of curious to what the F is, and uh, so uh, I guess I'll ask. I'm not sure if I should, but go ahead and tell me what, why you use the little initial F when my middle oh, initial is B. Well, we're at the beginning of September now, right? What usually happens right around first five uh, or ten days football. of September? Football. Yes. You got it. Very good. A plus. I knew you would because you're one of those kids in the class who always gets it first and gets it right. Every time, and yes, I think not only is football season start, but your, uh, I can never call them my, your Dallas Cowboys even play first this year. Yeah, the, the game, uh, we will we'll talk about the game at another time, mm-hmm. uh, but we will, <laughs> we'll hope that the season is a good season for the Cowboys. Yes, I hope so too, and um, we're, we're looking forward to that, and we're also looking forward to the education you're going to give us today on a topic that we talked about before the program that um, was pretty simple, yet when you explained it to me, you made it very complicated because it can be that, and I don't think a lot of our listeners realize realize that fact, which is the idea of having an executor for, I believe it's a will, and how you compensate that executor because most of them just don't do it for free. They need to be paid. So tell us all about that, Michael. Yeah, well, first of all, let's talk about what is an executor and okay. uh, different types. Uh, there's also administration. There's administrators. So mm-hmm. uh, an executor is the one that is in a will. Executors are only in wills. Okay. Uh, and they, uh, the typical will names an executor, and that's the person whose responsibility is to collect the assets and to pay the bills owed mm-hmm. by the deceased. Now, there are sometimes executors, and they use the word, and sometimes they use the word independent executors. When it's independent, that means that they are independent or of court supervision. Most wills have the word in Texas, independent. Most wills in other states do not have the word independent. So there's mm-hmm. one difference between, you know, as you go from state to state, it's not to say that a will is necessarily not good in another state. If you did it, uh, let's say you did a will in another state and you came to Texas, it doesn't necessarily mean that your uh, will is not valid, but it may not have the prerequisites that we need for things to maybe go as smoothly. So, for example, if you said, 
I appoint so-and-so as my executor, and you don't say that they're independent of court supervision, then you would have to get court approval when you sell things and maybe, uh, you know, to do different things, uh, you may have to get approval. Uh, whereas if you say that the executor is independent, then you do not. Okay. Uh, now, so the Texas Estates Code uh, talks about what's compensation for an executor or an administrator. So sometimes if you don't, uh, sometimes we have to appoint an administrator. Uh, let's say you had a copy of a will, uh, then you may have to have an independent administrator. Uh, so it's more difficult on different situations uh, if if the lang proper language was not used or you can't find the original or there's some other issues. And so the estates code says, uh, gives a definition on how much an executor could be paid. But before I even get to that, it should be mentioned that you have to probate the will for the will to be good to be good to begin with. Mm. Uh, you know, a lot of times we had somebody last week that they had um, there was children of the deceased that would um, uh, that um, were born of a different relationship than the surviving spouse, and the client came to us and said, "Okay, um, I want to have you know how last week we talked about ladybird deeds." Uh, on our show, uh, and of course we have podcasts of all of our shows. We talked about ladybird deeds and transfer on death deeds, which are deeds that avoid probate. But uh, in this case, uh, they wanted to do a ladybird deed for the surviving spouse, but the will of the spouse who had passed um, said everything goes to the surviving spouse, but since they didn't probate the will within four years and they really didn't have a good valid excuse as to why it wasn't. They just said, oh, well, it says everything goes to my spouse, so therefore it does. But it doesn't unless you have four years to probate a will. And uh, and in this case, if you have children from a different marriage, then the estate is split under the laws of intestacy, which means without a will. Hmm. And so uh, it didn't go the way that they wanted things to go because they failed to probate the will. So it's not only naming an executor in a will, but you actually have to go to court for the court to approve that the will is good and and that somebody qualifies to serve as an executor. What, wow. what does it mean to yeah, so what does it mean to qualify? So not even if you're named as an executor doesn't mean that you're qualified to serve. Mm -hmm. In other words, you have to not be adjudicated as incompetent. Uh, you haven't been convicted of a crime. Uh, like a, a moral turpitude or any kind of felony, uh, you know, things like that. Well, I remember one time we had where two two uh, brothers were uh, chosen as executors together, and one, um, they didn't get along. And so although when they probated the will, they said that, you know, they qualified to act, when they didn't get along, um, we recommended looking into the correct criminal record of the the one that uh, was a troublemaker. And in, fa in effect, uh, we found out that in the 1990s, he had been convicted of bribing a federal official, and therefore he did not qualify to act, and therefore he got removed as executor. Well, okay. So you have to, not only do you have to have a will, uh, you have to probate the will, and then you have to qualify to serve as an executor before the court will appoint you as an executor, and you have to sign an oath. And then they give letters testamentary, 
to the executor to gather up the assets and be responsible for uh, be paying of debts owed by the estate. Uh, you could also have an independent administrator, which is the as we said before, if there wasn't uh, if there's some problem situations, uh, and they could get letters of administration. There could be letters of independent administration and just letters of administration, just like there's uh, letters uh, testamentary uh, as well. And so anyway, um, it really depends on the facts. And so that's kind of the background. And then it gets to the point on what we were talking about initially, what the topic is today. How, can, how much can you be paid under the Texas law? Well, if you are just an executor, just as an executor, and I call this the Texas two-step. Uh, we've heard of Texas two-step, uh, and this was actually an article that I'd written, and quite frankly, it's the most one of the most well-read blogs that we have, uh, which is kind of surprising because it's not a question that we get that often, uh, and that is, how much can you be paid? Well, under the Texas estate code, for the being able to, um, you know, besides paying the debt, taxes, and all that kind of stuff, the standard compensation is a 5% commission uh, on all the amounts the executor or administrator receives or pays out in cash administration. Uh, however, there's a catch. And the catch is the law does not permit uh, compensation to an executor for cash on hand at the decedent's death including, let's say, if you have a checking account or a savings account or a CD or a money market or collecting a life insurance policy, unless it's really difficult to collect, or paying out cash bequests to beneficiaries. Um, now, and that's if the executor wasn't independent. So now it could actually be even, it could even be paid more, but the executor could be paid more if they had a really difficult job. So you say, well, how much, what can you do? What would be a difficult situation? When would you be paid that 5%? So let's say you had to manage a, a business. Um, well, managing a business or a farm, well, you think of, you know, one thing you think of is what's gone on recently is Britney Spears on the conservatorship. Right. You know, they have a lot of different assets, and so the father was charging for doing all these different types of things. Uh, to manage the business. So if you had a family farm or ranch or business, uh, that may be difficult for an executor to continue to administer, and so they may get 5%. In fact, they could even get more than that if they petition the court if it's a really difficult job. Uh, and by the way, that's for executor. It doesn't say if you're independent, though. So it's not even clear uh, on the in the Texas Estates Code. It only talks about if you're executor. It doesn't say independent. But so the standard, though, is 5%, but only if it's, you know, not just collecting what's already there. So then you say, well, what should I, uh, what should I put in? The, should I put something in the will? A lot of people say, what if you said nothing? Well, uh, do they get compensation? You know, it could be that this is something that you work out, the executor works out with the family to see what's, what they can agree upon. Or the judge. Gets, yeah, or a judge. That's mm -hmm. right. Or a judge. You'd like to see if you could work it out with them. A lot of people put down in their wills reasonable compensation. Mm -hmm. in, law, in law school, there was always the reasonable man. I've, I've been looking for that guy for a long time. 
but I haven't seemed to find them yet. But reasonable, <laughs> what's reasonable compensation? Uh, so I'm not sure what reasonable is. And so, like you say, it could go down to a court decision what's reasonable and what's not reasonable. I guess so, it's hard to say, you know, because what if, for example, I have a best friend of mine from high school who was an attorney in Albany, New York, and he's now a judge, uh, and he deals with domestic violence matters and has to um, judge over matters with uh, the, uh, typically the fathers or husbands who become violent, and he has to listen and hear them out and then um, meet out a punishment and that kind of thing. And he became executor of his father's estate. And I don't know, Michael, how much does my friend make? $400 an hour, $500 an hour, and I think being executor, it cost, it ended up being $50 an hour. So is that fair? He's doing all this, quote, work for his father, who's deceased, when he makes, you know, 10 times what um, he makes in his professional job. Yeah, you know, and I should tell you that, you know, you mentioned a different state. Mm-hmm. In different states, it should probably be a different amount because there's a lot more work to be done, and they require... Um, more stuff, more hmm. things to do uh, in, let's say, New York or in California than right. they would in Texas. Texas, if you're, it's much easier to probate a will than in those states, which um, they require all sorts of different types of things that we don't require. Hmm. And so it ends up being uh, where they take a percentage of the estate. Uh, and that's not unusual for, let's say, and of course I'm not licensed in any other state, Mm-hmm. Let's say in some states it's not unusual to say I get one percent of the entire estate, the executor, or something like that, or two percent, or something, uh, and that could be an awful lot if depending on the size of the estate, or it could be a, very limited if you have a very small estate. But the uh, the rules are different from state to state, so the compensation would be different. So that gets into that question of what should be the, what is a reasonable compensation, and that's a hard thing to determine. So that means that a lot of times. If you want to avoid that, you put some sort of compensation in the will. Yes, I guess so long as you know the kind of income that person is used to. And in fairness to that person or, or that individual, in my friend's case, too, I don't know if this applies to many situations in Texas or around the world, but he was co-executor, meaning he and his sister were executors at the same time, which also can open up a Pandora's box. Yeah, a lot of times you can't get a great. Whenever you have co on anything, a lot and, and a lot of people just don't want to, you know. Oh, I don't want to choose between my kids. I right. want them to feel like that they're equal, and uh, you know. And uh, on the other hand, say, well, I want to have. Che-, and some people say I want checks and balances, but what actually ends up happening is a lot of times is that there's disagreements, and then that can end up to being more of a cost to the estate. Um, so it's the same thing, by the way. On some of the other things, a lot of times people say on powers of attorney, you know, power of attorney is the uh, document that gives the ability for somebody to handle things, particularly if you're disabled, that is your financial assets, uh, when you are disabled and it terminates on death. Mm-hmm. A lot of times uh, people want to have, let's say, two kids or, uh, or two siblings to be co-agents. Again, this is awful, an awful situation many times or medical decisions on medical powers of attorney because sometimes there's gridlock. Well, I agree. I want to do this. No, I think we should do this. Mm-hmm. And then nothing gets done. So mm-hmm. really, usually it's recommended or it could be that people, uh, it ends up being a even a lawsuit. Uh, 
remember I, I think I told you um, uh, a case we had where somebody was the, the daughters were, two daughters were chosen as um, medical powers of attorney, but only one daughter was chosen as the agent of the financial power of attorney. And they got in a dispute on uh, because there was two of them. Uh, and so the one who didn't like that she wasn't chosen as the agent under the financial power of attorney went to court and um, said that she should be the guardian because her sister didn't act in a way that she thought was rightful. Uh, mm-hmm. And even though uh, she was there when the dad signed, apparently, the uh, the documents, uh, I know that the daughter who was the accused of not being doing things correctly on going to court uh, for guardianship had paid 126000 in legal fees. Uh, and just, just to give you an example of uh, guardianship supersedes powers of attorney, and maybe you shouldn't name somebody as co-agents. <laughs> mm, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very interesting. So, I mean, yeah, let me uh, make a point, though, that uh, with the executors, the co-executors, it, it did work out, and the co-executor was his sister. But at the same time, though, I would imagine, too, when you uh, you assign somebody that duty or that privilege to be the executor, and it happens to be a son or a daughter, well, what if there's other sons and daughters who are not executors? Imagine the headaches that created because the siblings were then doubting what the executors were doing with their father's estate. Yeah, and so sometimes that it may be okay to have a financial institution, is even though they get paid, but they are professionals, to be an executor mm-hmm. uh, just because there could be all this, uh, you know, family issues. I know we had on a trust that we did recently, there was one daughter was going to be trustee uh, over the other daughter's trust. And I saw that all of a sudden that they were not going to get along. And I have begged the client, please change it to a financial institution. They're not going to be talking the rest of their life. Uh, So a lot of times, even though the natural inclination is to have a family member, oh, they're not going to charge. It'll be simple. I don't you know, financial institutions charge money, but I really want to, My one daughter will take care of the other daughter, you know, all that kind of good stuff, which is the natural inclination. Sometimes things change in life, and so sometimes it's not the best uh, option. So similarly for an executor, although typically what people have a family member as a an executor, as you suggest, uh, it's not always the case, and you could have a, somebody that's more professional an independent who could act as an executor or as a trustee or an administrator, et cetera. Yeah, makes perfect sense. I, I appreciate you saying that. Um, well, whether it's a family member, co-executors, um, the operative word here is, is co, is in co-executor, but I prefer to uh, highlight co-en, not co-executors. I think C-O-H-E-N, which is Michael Cohen, which is my estate planner, who should be your estate planner. And the first step in that direction of securing him as your estate planner is to attend his next workshop. I'm starting to call him the Zoom shop because Michael does them via Zoom, which is online, and you get to attend from the comforts of your own home where you can simply Zoom in uh, for the workshop and learn all about estate planning or government assistance, and that's where Michael's expertise really shines. The next Zoom shop or workshop is Tuesday, September the 21st at 1 o'clock. And, Michael, tell the audience all about those great workshops you've been doing for years and years now. Yeah, um, we ask people what they want to know. 
mm-hmm. whether it's about estate planning, whether it's about wills or about trust or about Medicaid, as you mentioned, or veterans benefits, mm-hmm. uh, all about estate planning issues. Um, it could be, we talked here today about powers of attorney. It could be any number of things. We've even mentioned ladybird deeds. It could be on transfer on death deeds. We never know what people are going to ask. Each workshop is different because we ask what you want to know, and the questions are different at each workshop. And then we might have a presentation as well. And it's two hours. It's free. No obligation. We just want to answer the questions that you may have without any uh, fear of any obligation. Uh, and to attend the free estate planning essentials workshop, all you have to do is call 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102 or sign up online at DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com. And it's free. And you'll see that you're going to learn something. You're going to see that the time flies by. And I think you're going to have some fun along the way. So you'll see that we've been doing them uh, since the end of 2012 in answer to your question. Wow. And, yeah, yeah, I know it's been a long time. Uh, time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. And anyway, <laughs> so it, we, they, it, each one is, is different. And, you know, because there's been so much demand, uh, throughout the pandemic, we've had them a little bit more often than we used to. Um, when we first started doing them, we were doing it on a monthly basis, then went to three weeks, and now we're doing it between two and three weeks uh, generally. So uh, we hope that you'll join us. And if you do go to that free estate planning essentials workshop, uh, we also give you the opportunity for a what we call a free vision meeting where we can meet one-on-one see what your situation is without obligation and also without charge. So uh, to do that again, is all you have to do is call that 214-720-0102 number or sign up online at DallasElderLawyer.com. Excellent. Tuesday, September 21st, 1 o'clock. Um, about four minutes left, Michael. Why wouldn't a listener just simply call you and say, I want to make you, Michael, my executor, since you're objective, you're an attorney, you specialize in this, et cetera. You know, I've been asked that a lot of times. Thank you for asking the question. Uh, and I've always uh, politely uh, declined. For me, now I know some attorneys do that, but to me that's a conflict of interest. Uh, mm-hmm. To me, uh, even when I've had relatives, I said, look, I'll either prepare your estate planning documents or you can name me as the fiduciary, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to be both because if I – um, prepare the will and then say, oh, I'm going to get paid for being executor as well, I feel that's a conflict of interest. So I um, I will, even though I appreciate the fact that people have asked me that many times, I, I do not accept that uh, authority. Okay. Well, I'm sure you're used to it because of how honest and competent you are when it comes to estate planning. So uh, I'm sure they'll be making that request in the future and I, I believe your answer. I believe your disposition is very honorable, and um, I think the audience will understand that too. So, Michael, let's just wrap up in the last few minutes that we have regarding paying an executor. Just summarize for the audience one more time exactly what you think that should be and why. You know, one thing is I think you should probably to, to eliminate all these different questions about either not saying compensation or saying reasonable compensation. 
maybe if you think that there's ever going to be a dispute, especially if it could be uh, difficult, maybe you ought to put down either a certain dollar amount mm-hmm. or a certain percentage uh, or make sure that the family could agree. But I, you know, again, that's that family changes from time to time. So probably the best thing is to figure out uh, what would be something that somebody is fair. Uh, and I know uh, yesterday uh, I was talking uh, with somebody uh, about their plan, and she and she said, well, I don't think that friend of mine is going to be willing to do it for X price. Hmm. I said, well, at what price do you think is reasonable that they would be willing to do it? And so we just started discussing that as part of the plan. And I said, well, maybe we ought to talk with the the one that you're suggesting and see, is that something that they would feel comfortable with? Of course, you always have alternates if something happens the first one uh, Mm -hmm. to see if something bad should happen. I I was talking, I did my fancy football uh, draft this right before the season began uh, this this past Wednesday. And um, in that draft, I, I was talking, I have a partner in, he said, oh, you did a trust for me 25 years ago. Uh, and, I, and I said, gee, I, yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, he said, do you remember who the alternate trustee is from 25 or 30 years ago? And I said, oh, shoot. No, I'm an elder elder law attorney. I don't remember that far back, though. <laughs> so uh, I'd have to look at the actual document. But we always have alternates is the point. You always, right. Whether it's a trustee or an agent or a power of attorney or um, somebody else, uh, some some other document, you always have an alternate. So I think the lesson is let's if if you think that there's any kind of question at all, uh, then let's come up with a what we think is going to be a right amount and or a percentage, uh, and see if that's going to be acceptable to the sector. Now, a lot of times people don't want to pay family members say, ah, they're good, you know they're going to be inheriting anyway. But a lot of times it is a tough job, so it should be taken in consideration. Should be at least discussed on any kind of estate planning. Okay. Well, that's great to know. I appreciate that very much. The other lesson is to attend his next workshop. That is Tuesday, September the 21st at 1 o'clock. It's online. You don't have to leave your home. You just sign up by going to Michael's website or just call 214 He's done a couple hundred of these, if my math is right. So they're very enjoyable, educational, and inspiring. And that will most likely lead you or should lead you to that private meeting that you can also have with Mike, which is called the vision meeting. And then you can address your personal, individual, private circumstances with him as well. Michael Cohen, we thank you for this education today, sir. Thank you, Don. The record shows I took the blows and did it Leading estate planner practicing law for decades in Dallas, Texas, Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the Texas and federal laws. The next step to that end is to attend his next workshop by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com and sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call him by dialing 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102.
a talk show host on KAAM for eight years now, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate what could currently be a rather insufficient estate plan. Make certain that is not the case and that it is created and completed your way by signing up for his next free workshop today.